Uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I will say this, and this should have been obvious, but if you ever want to bring down the house for karaoke, Uptown Funk, turns out, will just tear up a room, which makes perfect sense when you think about it. But you don't actually have to, you don't even have to be able to sing to do Uptown Funk. It's a spoken word jam. You just, you just have to be able to, you know, keep up with the, you know, the syncopated rhythms of Mark Ronson and the whole room will be on their feet. This is not nerd shit at all, but Bruno Mars, he like frustrates me a little bit because on the one hand, like he has like some of like, you know, it's like absolutely like hyper produced over polished pop music, but I love it. I love it so much. Oh, like it's, it's weird to like be someone that is like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm crusty and I don't like anything corporate. And I, all my bands are bands that died before I was born. And then every time a, uh, a Bruno Mars song comes on, I'm like, oh, fuck. But he does have it, doesn't he? Oh, oh, god damn. And yeah, including up, I think Uptown Funk is actually the song that kind of broke it for me. Like I like you mentioned Mark Ronson. Yes, it is mostly a Mark Ronson thing. Yet nonetheless, that is the first time where I don't know Bruno Mars. He worked his way in my head, and he I can't let him go now. I love him. I like the idea of of Bruno Mars comes on you and like a teenage girl across the room. You just share a knowing smile. It's like yes, this is going to be an experience for both of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel it would be if I were to see Bruno Mars in a room. Like, I mean, it would be difficult because I think he is. Like, what, like, five foot nothing, probably, and I'd have to, like, crouch down and, like, be pushing people's knees aside as if foliage in a jungle to look for his his beautiful visage. But well, then when I see did his hat find him, first. Yes, yes. And it would be wonderful. God, you know, I don't want to get any more carried away since I'm talking about how much I just want to find uh, Bruno Mars in a sea of people's knees. We're probably talking about the Big Bang Theory theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And this is the first time we've probably ever talked about Bruno Mars on this show, which is a sign that we're healing. But what we usually talk about is the television show, The Big Bang Theory. We're in season six of it. And uh, what we've been doing for the last five plus years going on six now is watching this show in order in every episode. We uh, summarize it. We pick it apart. We talk about our feelings about it. We talk about what it's like to be a real nerd watching the show. And then we just talk about shit we actually like. Yes. Uh, and we hope you enjoy us along the journey. I don't know. We could talk about Bruno Mars some more, or we could talk about the show that we actually watched today. Yeah, uh, why don't you get, Why don't you give us a summary? Uh, well, I'll say this. Uh, slight spoilers. Much like uh, Penny's feelings for Leonard, apparently, we don't actually love this at all. And yet we're just, it's still happening. We're still part of it. You know... Hey, let's get real for a second here. I've I mentioned over and over and over again on the show that I struggle with depression, and I think one of the reasons for that is that, you know, of course there's a, a, a physical slash genetic slash psychological component to it that, you know, what do you do about that? But there's also a philosophical component to it. You know, what... What it what I struggle with is struggle with is deeper. It's not just like I don't want to get out of bed, but it's like why should I get? And one of those things that I I think about a lot is maybe maybe the human mind is happiest when it's just doing arbitrary tasks, when it just has whatever stupid goal in front of it to distract it from the fact that it is going to die someday, and that goal doesn't really matter. And Kyle, I think this 
pursuit, this podcast, is as worthy of a goal as any. I mean, you know, someday we, uh, we're probably never going to be recognized for our contributions to the fields of medicine, philosophy, art, whatever. But boy, if we're just not thinking about death and no one else is thinking about death for like, you know, 30 plus minutes, aside from like the two plus minutes that I'm talking about this. Oh, God, good job, us. Oh, we did a great job. And so did this television show we watched. Ah, oh, that's all it is. That's all we want. That's all I want. Hey, Just listeners. keeping keeping the darkness at bay, one dick joke at a time. Ah, oh, that's that's all any of us can ask for. That's all I want, and I got it. Uh, in season six, episode two, which, ladies and gentlemen, holy shit! I'm gonna uh, make a disclosure here. I watched today's episode the uh, same way uh, any American should. I half listened to it while watching dinner. Uh, my dinner was delicious, but I didn't actually look up the name of today's episode, so we're moving on. This is a non-sequential episode, season six, episode two. But uh, this actually kind of brings the Penny and Leonard relationship back to the forefront. It's it's a surprisingly uh, substantive plot episode, but it's it's kind of a bummer because... Instead of do, like, instead of doing this, the general plot summary, I'm just going to bring up the two big plot elements, and I think we should spin off of those, because I actually really like the tension in this episode. Well, not the tension in the episode, but in, in the tension in the plots and, and how I want the show to focus. Because all of last season, the entirety of season five, is building up to Wallowitz getting married and going to space. Now he's in space, and he's getting space bullied. That is... It's kind of a struggle between our A plot and our B plot. I'm going to say it's firmly in our B plot for this episode. Wallowitz is he's talking with he's talking with the pals back uh, in the apartment. He's talking with Bernadette, and he's really having a bad time. And it's it's funny because he's pursuing his dream. He's getting what he wanted, but he's up there with a couple of bros. And and what do you do? And I think that's another thing too that like uh, I didn't mean to get into this immediately, but. There is this fantasy that exists, I think, particularly among the college-aged nerd that dissipates with age, or at least it has in my case, but that when you are physically weak but mentally strong, that someday your, your, your mental strength will help you succeed in a way that the, the physical strength will eventually fade for the other people. That You have the lasting benefits that, that they do not. You take... You fail to account for those people who are physically strong and mentally strong. And that's what Wallowitz is dealing with right now. He's like, he's dealing with the people that are the whole package and they still don't like him because he's a nerd. And uh, and so the, the, the struggle that I'm feeling is that now that that's being brought up, that's kind of what I want the show to be about. Because that is a real nerd thing to deal with where you're like, well, I'm the smart guy in the room. I'm going to go be smart and conquer everything. And now he is in space, and he's getting space bullied, and I think it's hilarious. But the A-plot is much more about Leonard and Penny, where Penny... Well, Penny, Bernadette, and Amy are all having a chit-chat where Bernadette kind of just brings up whimsically, like, Oh, you know... Uh, where, what do you think you're going to be in 10 years in your relationship? Like, And Amy's like, Shelton and I are going to be married in four years. Like, he doesn't know that yet. He's a flight risk. But that four years, marriage, absolutely. And when they pitch the question to Penny, she's like, I don't really know. Like, I mean, I don't, I maybe I love Leonard. But it's that kind of love that's boring that you're not really excited about. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, shit. And so this becomes an episode about 
when is Penny going to be breaking up with Leonard? Because she's not feeling it, and she appears to be in a relationship just for the sake of it. Sheldon finds this out through Amy, and then he suffers with the secret. And on the one hand, he wants to be a supportive friend and tell this to Leonard for his own sake because he doesn't want to see Leonard get hurt. On the other hand, he also is very happy with, as he puts it, the state of homeostasis they're all in. And so he also wants what Penny wants, which is just for the relationship to keep going because it's easy for everybody and no one's getting hurt. And Leonard here is just like a big stupid puppy dog, like, oh, all the adults are talking around me, but occasionally there's a boob in my mouth, so this is cool. And that is the the heavier plot, and that's really kind of what the show more should be about. But I am more interested in Wallow it's getting space bullied. And so there are finer details to all of this, of course, but those are our big plot elements. Kyle, if you'd like to add any big plot points in, please do. Otherwise, we can start chopping away. Oh, well, actually, I'm sorry. There is a C plot now. Oh, yes, you're right. It, please, please cover which it if is, you like. Which is just a continuation of the, you know, sort of the end of last week's episode that I think both you and I assumed they were never going to follow up on. No, uh, you're right. <laughs> Ra- Raj has bonded with what's his name from Stuart. the comic book store. Yes. And so now he's trying to make Stuart like a regular member of the crew. Like most of the group is like, oh, we don't care. It's like whatever, just another nerd in the group. But uh, Sheldon is conspicuously like, I will take him, but only sort of, you know, in keeping, I guess, thematically with the main theme of the episode. He's just like, I don't like change, so he's allowed to be around, but only if he behaves exactly like Wallowitz behaves. Otherwise, I'm just going to be upset that he is here. Yeah, and I think like their first confrontation about behaviors is. uh... They're all going to the movies, and Sheldon is asking what Stewart's like favorite movie snacks are, and he's like, I don't, know, I don't really care what it is. And like, was it raisinets? And he's like, Would you feel more comfortable if I had raisinets? He's like, It's no business of mine what you eat, so long as it's not crunchy or loud, and it's raisinets. And I'm like, Oh, classic Sheldon. All right, these are the goofs I came here for. So yeah, this episode delivers. Not a lot of favorite goofs in this one. Now that I'm thinking back on it, I don't know. It's another one of those ones where, like, I like this episode because it did a lot of heavy lifting, I think, of really getting the show back on track. Like, I I actually felt engaged with the plot of this episode, but I'm not sure I have anything about it that made me laugh in particular. Other than, like I said, the general idea of space bullying... But the bullying isn't really fun, and it is sad to see. Like, Wallowitz is genuinely distressed. He's having a bad time. And there's nothing he can do about it. It's it's actually, it's, um, it, it brings up something that is awful to deal with, again, when you're, like, a youth, which is Bernadette is like, do you want me to call NASA and do something about it? Which is obviously ridiculous, but that is something that comes up, like, as a kid, is like, oh, the other kids are... Treating you like shit. Do you want me to go and make the event more conspicuous for you, <laughs> or, or do you want me just to acknowledge that we're we're powerless in this situation and that you're going to get continued bully unless you leave the situation? It's what's what's a Wallowitz to do? What's a Bernie to do? Kyle, I don't know. These poor people. There, I will say um, this has nothing to do with the plot of the episode, but um, Wallowitz looks weird in space. 
Am I the only, like, or actually, let me put it like this. I, I assume the actor who plays Wolowitz looks weird always, but they've got him in, like, an astronaut outfit now where he's got, like, the, you know, the short-colored T-shirt on. Mm-hmm. And you just, you really see just how much bigger his head is than his body. Like, he looks, like, proportionally, like, like an anime character in real life. And it is just really, for some reason, you know, he's been on this show for, we've been watching this show for like six seasons. I've always known that part of the joke is that he is a short little guy with a big head. But Mm -hmm. my God, it's so conspicuous, the angles that they shoot him from in this episode. And maybe it's his new haircut because he doesn't have the bowl cut anymore. But I was just like, is that... Is that really what he looks like? He looks you know, he looks like a CGI person. He doesn't look real. Which I guess is just me saying I would bully Wallowitz in space too. I would be like, you big headed, tiny bodied little man. What are you doing here? Well, I hadn't noticed that specifically about Wallowitz. I mean he does look different, but I don't know if you've heard this. Maybe we've even talked about it before. But I guess that's a thing about a lot of Hollywood and or famous people is that they apparently a lot of them have huge heads because that makes for big noticeable features and so these beautiful people that you see on screen you see them in person and it's like oh not only are you much shorter than advertised but you have a monumental head-to-body ratio that makes you yes. look freakish in person yeah tom cruise apparently looks like woody from toy story in real life oh or that's like um you know I was going to say, I'm not going to comment on a female actor's appearance. It's too late. I already brought it up. But what's her name? Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who is beautiful. But seeing her in different movies and then seeing her do like a, a panel interview, like in a, you know, in-person thing. I was like, oh, you do kind of look like an alien, like a beautiful alien. But like if I saw you on the street, I think I I would be, you know, in awe, yes, of your beauty, but also of shapes that just don't totally make sense to me. Like, some things that are just eye-catching on their own merit. You know, like, yes, you're pro- you are a great actor, but there's also something other word- or otherworldly about you that just draws the eye in the first place. And what I'm saying is that Wallowitz has that too, baby. And we're, we're both just, we're, we're subject to it. We can't help but... Uh, Keep our eyes uh, glued to him with his big old noggin. Well, we've covered that. <laughs> we certainly have. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know where else to go with this one. Like I said, I don't know that there there wasn't anything horrible about it either. Like that's nothing. Nothing terrible happened. Like I said, the well, bullying okay, is sad. So let's. Just, do you think Penny is going to actually break up with Leonard? Like, is this basically? Are we actually start? Like, how is this going to get? Res- There's only two ways, I guess, it could be resolved. Is she's either going to break up with him at, in some subsequent episode very soon or else he's going to do something to reignite her affection for him and she's actually going to commit harder to him but it's got to be one of those two things right eventually Um, i mean i'm not saying they can't string this particular dynamic out for like an entire season but eventually it has to end one of those two ways i think i got a little tied up between part one and part two your plots there but i think i was leaning towards part two which was breakup but that will reaffirm that they belong together that yeah i do not think that they are just going to stay together i think that they have to break up so penny can see what she's really missing because right now she's bored 
because she's not pursuing her dreams and there's nothing going on in her life. But maybe if she has a worse guy, that she can go back and be like, mm, I was wrong not to settle. And then the show can continue. Yeah, that, that That's sounds, my guess. <laughs> that totally. So basically, the, have their cake and eat it too. She'll, they'll do the break up and get back together. Yeah. She'll go out there and she'll get just, she will get one just like, wicked wild ride something that some sort of skill that leonard just can't provide not something she necessarily misses not something she might even want but something that she knows that she just can't get from leonard and then get that out of her system and get back to doing whatever she's been doing for the last couple of years on this show uh, working saturdays at the cheesecake factory and otherwise living off of saturday pad thai from across the hallway i don't who knows what the fuck her life is about <laughs> That is true. We still, like, uh, I mean, I guess, I don't know why I'd even point it out at this point, who she is when Louis, oh, well, Leonard, or the, I guess we know what she's like with the girls, where she just hangs out and drinks wine. Penny has become a very boring character, I guess. Yeah, no, there's nothing to her. She's, maybe maybe the show isn't ready to deal with this. Maybe she is deeply depressed. And that's, maybe that's what's going on with the relationship with Leonard here. It's not that she's not in love. It's that she's not feeling anything right now. That's why she's always reaching for the wine. That's why she's just uh, kind of, she's not ready to commit to any relationship. But every now and then she's had a few too many drinks and she's like, oh God, I just need to feel something. I'm just going to roll over onto Leonard's dick and hope that it ignites some sort of primal part of my brain that, that makes it a tingling sensation somewhere, somewhere along the base of my spine. And then Bernadette over here is like, but do you want to marry him? And that's not what she needs right now. That's what I think is really going on right now. So my favorite part of this episode was uh, Sheldon's moral quandary. And I do actually, uh, which I find relate, you know, as the person who is much more likely to watch other people's romantic entanglements disintegrate than uh, uh, be in the middle of it myself. I have many times been the person who's just been like the first person to realize, oh, you two are past your sell-by date. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right down, actually, I guess I find the point relatable to like, well, I mean, this is going to be depressing for you, but also I'm going to be the one who has to like st- – I mean, I'm I'm gonna have to pick one of you, and I'm gonna have to scoop up like your self esteem after this. It's gonna mm. be a lot of work. Are you sure you guys can't just swallow your resentments towards each other, just so we can all you know just keep hanging out and you know drinking coffee and watching Battlestar Galactica yeah. reruns together? You're both are gonna pretend that things are cool at movie night, but I'm gonna have to make a totally new furniture arrangements so you don't have to both sit on the same love seat at movie night. And... But you're both going to be all awkward when I bring it up, so I just have to not talk about it. Oh, God. Yeah, that whole scenario. Yeah. I'm really the victim in this circumstance. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Sheldon has done nothing to deserve the situation he's being put in. No one's thinking about him. Like, is he selfish? Sure. Yes. But also, he's being neglected. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was what I was actually going to say though is my favorite part of the episode is when he sits down and he's trying to figure out how to explain to Leonard and he's like maybe I can do this using a Transformers metaphor. <laughs> so he's like sometimes you know robots can act like sometimes trucks are actually aliens in disguise and sometimes people don't love you as much as you think they do, which is a pretty I just I don't know why I just I actually found that kind of fun. Writing. That was a very good thing. Yeah, that's like okay, like. Well, it's actually, I, I've been thinking about a bit I want to do for stand-up that's kind of similar 
to what Sheldon's trying to do here. But, you know, it'd almost be like trying to set up a metaphor and be like, so, you know, it's kind of like s'mores, you know, like, sure, like you put, you know, chocolate and marshmallow between two graham crackers. And then we have your father's death. That's what Sheldon's pulling one of those numbers. <laughs> yes. It's a classic move. It's, it's, it's successful. Ah, yeah. Sheldon becoming one of the more <laughs> stable characters throughout the series. I don't know. Anything else about this one? No. We want to talk about things we actually like? Yes. Let's do that. All right. I've got one queued up. How are you feeling, Kyle? Uh, you can go first. I'm pretty sure I know what I'm going to do, but depending on how this conversation goes, maybe you'll inspire me to something else. All right. I, I will go first, son, but here, here's what's going on with me. Mine, mine's a little bit of a rant. I'm going to be honest with you. Mine's a little bit of an excuse to go off on a classic one of my tangents here. And that's, uh... Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> I, uh, I just finished, I, I really plowed through it, uh, the reissue, the remaster of Chrono Cross, that uh, just came out like a week or so ago. And uh, this game originally came out about 20 years ago uh, on the PlayStation. It is not a direct sequel, but it is a sequel to uh, Chrono Trigger. It's the... I can't even call it a spiritual successor. It's like an indirect sequel. They have direct ties, and yet it is not like chronologically, chronologically sequential. It's If you play the game, it'll make sense. But... I am not going to recommend the remaster that just came out because the remaster plays in worse shape than the original PlayStation version. <laughs> it runs at a worse frame rate. The graphical enhancements slow the game down. The, the Chrono Cross came out near the end of the original PlayStation's life cycle and it really pushed the hardware. And slowdown that was acceptable, acceptable at the time because it was really doing the best it could with the limitations, not only stands out that much more on like modern hardware, but they made it worse. And like on the PC version of this game, modders are already trying to fix the problems that the remasters introduced. And so I'm going to recommend that you go out and play a pirated version of the original Chrono Cross, because you will have as good, if not a better, experience. And if you can't do that, go ahead and play the remaster. But it's it's just a frustrating experience in how games are preserved, what what it means to have a remaster, and what what companies will do to get your money. So that's that's the little bit of the rant part of it because it really is a bummer the way that this was released. But that said. It's an interesting game. I'm not even going to say it's a great game. It is a good game, but mostly it is weird. Uh, and it has the unenviable task of being the successor to Chrono Trigger, which is like the most beloved JRPG of all time. It's it's a game that like is so good that I think even if you haven't played it, you have to pretend to like it so other nerds won't be mad at you. And like I think Chrono Cross came out five or six years afterward, and like I said, it's not a direct sequel. Instead, Chrono Trigger had like a very bright, shiny vibe. You play as a bunch of like, I always interpret them as tweens. I don't know if their age is exactly clear. I always assume they were like 13 or 14. 
You're going on a big Well, they're anime characters, so they could be any age from 12 to 30 and Correct. look the yes. same. Who knows where they are, but yeah, you know, the ex- but you're right, they're, they're anime teens. That's what age they are. And yet they, they go on a time-traveling quest to prevent the apocalypse that is going to happen to their own world. And, spoiler alert, they succeed. And it's a very bright, shiny, happy game. And... Uh, this would be a spoiler if this weren't uh, already a 20-year-old game for Chrono Cross. Chrono Cross is much grimmer. It explores what happened to the future that would have happened had your bright, shiny teens from the first game not interfered. Like, you have a, a future that was going to happen for certain. Time travel was introduced. That future was interrupted. What happened to those people on that timeline does their timeline exist anymore do they exist anymore like when you make a decision are you creating other universes or are you killing off other universes and so it starts bright shiny but then all of a sudden you're like oh god like what did we do like (laughs) chrono trigger was so cute and fun but like did we actually do the right thing did we make the world perhaps worse and so it's it's like i said it's a very interesting game it also has a unique leveling system which i think kind of exposes what jrpgs are all about but does it at least in a fun way which is that a fundamental criticism which is baked into jrpgs is that you know, bad ones are, you're going to grind a lot because your level and skill progression isn't set up correctly. And so you end up just going around killing things forever and ever because it's too hard. And then easy ones, uh, you get so much experience that you, you just cruise through and you never experience any sort of difficulty at all. Chrono Cross hits this weird middle ground where you don't have experience at all. Instead, you're always the level you're supposed to be you can get maybe another couple extra point or two to a stat if you do a bunch of fights in between bosses. Otherwise, you're kind of always on the exact path you're supposed to be for leveling and difficulty. And so it's a very on-rails experience. And it also, I think because they wanted to deal with this idea of different universes and different possibilities they thought oh how many different kind of crazy experiences might you have in those worlds oh you might meet so many interesting people let's have 45 characters they didn't write 45 plots though <laughs> and so you get a whole bunch of characters like it's 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 like super fun that you get a mexican wrestling exorcist it's sad that he doesn't have his own story so that's the problem with chrono cross is it introduces a billion cool ideas, but I don't know what happened in the studio. If like at some point, like a guy with a cigar came in and said, you got to finish tomorrow, <laughs> but they did not flesh out any of the ideas. And so, yeah, I think it is worth playing because it, it does kind of like reinterprets a beloved classic. It does a lot of interesting things, but you should pirate the original version and then you get the benefit of all the modding that's been done to it and all of the uh, advancements of emulation software so you can have a better experience in this re-release. And also uh, you can know what it's like to uh, 
have to confront whether or not you ruined the lives of an entire universe of shiny, happy teens just by existing, um, which was a heavy thing to deal with when I was like a 16-year-old playing it for the first time. And now that I'm in my, my late 30s, I'm like, nah, that's life. <laughs> so, yeah, Chrono Cross, give it, give it a try. Awesome. Okay, so you have inspired me to talk about something totally, but you're going to have to go on a journey with me for this one. I'm ready. Okay, well, first, I'm just going to say I was going to recommend uh, Our Flag Means Death, even though I haven't finished watching it. It's great. You should probably watch it. Uh, I'll, if I ever finish it, maybe I'll come back and I'll do like a more definitive encapsulation well, of the first season. My, my friend Jen keeps recommending it to me. And now that you're also recommending it, I guess I have to watch it. But she I mean, she keeps emphasizing what uh, a fun gay show it is. She, she's like, it's one of the few like legitimately gay shows, she says, that she's enjoyed on TV. So It is very nice. Like, like basically, uh, from the moment, like you meet one pirate and he's a very shitty pirate. And you're like, I mean, this is funny, but I don't know how long. Uh, I can just watch this guy be bad at being a pirate and it will continue to be funny. And then Blackbeard shows up and they fall in love. And it's like, this is my boyfriend. He's the historical pirate Blackbeard, the scourge of the seven seas. And from that moment on, it's, you know, I am hooked. Nice. Um, That's not what you're recommending this week. Well, just because I haven't finished it. So for all I know, it it really tanks in the back half. I hope not. I'd be surprised. But, um. No, American Horror Story. Yeah, I am going to be talking about just making a very, just sort of in keeping with your theme of weird Japanese works that play against each other. I'm going to talk about the most Japanese manga that I ever read, and that is Negima, which I can't in good conscience recommend that anybody (laughs) read. Nobody should read it. This isn't so that's what this is why this is going to be a weird recommendation because this is I'm going to talk all about this manga with the explicit caveat that I started reading this when I was twelve and I kept reading it through my adulthood, mostly because I remembered how awesome it felt to be reading it when I was 12, not because I think it actually holds up, but it is pretty fun to talk about. So I will be talking with you about it with the understanding that it's probably more fun to have someone explain to you than to actually go back and read all, like, 40 volumes of it like I did. Okay, um, so we're getting, like, a mini bad manga podcast in the middle of our other bad everything podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't even want to say it's bad. I just want... Well, here's what it's... So, I'll just explain. Negima was a comic created by Ken Akamatsu, who at that point in his career was famous for writing, you know, guy and sexy girl sort of comedy manga. His his breakthrough one the was Love Hina, which is considered by many people to be the first ever harem manga because it's about a guy who it's about a guy who moves into an apartment complex with a bunch of women and you know he has will they won't they romantic slash sexy hijinks with all of them and it was a huge success both in japan and weirdly enough here in the united states like it was this was like back in the early days of like direct imports of manga that were not going through a third party and it was like one of the first to hit over here and people fucking love that shit so i don't just mean like i don't just mean like horny teen boys i mean there were like a lot of i remember a lot of like my i don't i don't know how to say female friends without making it sound weird but a lot of my female (laughs) friends we're really into it, you know, just the the romantic aspect of it, even though it was sort of 
now you'd look back and you'd be like, oh, this is unbearingly, unflinchably just sort of like horny, classic horny cringe anime. But anyway, people liked it. And so he apparently said at that point, you know, I'd like to do something different as a follow-up. And his publisher said, no, absolutely not. You have Hmm. struck gold. This is the only type of uh, manga you're allowed to do for the rest of your life. And he said, well, fuck. So um, he, what he did is one of my favorite things that anyone has ever done in the history of publishing, which he started out writing a follow-up horny (laughs) harem manga, which is, this is the literal plot, it's about a 10-year-old boy who is also a wizard who go who because he's a uh, super genius with languages which is one of the reasons he's so good at magic he's given a job teaching at an all-girls school of middle school girls and so the only two things the original hook of the manga were nerdy nerdy boy kid who's a little too young to understand uh, how weird it is that he's surrounded by all of these sexy but obviously under you know again early days of you know uncomfortably yeah. underage so now but it was just I, I feel whatever. like we do need to confront the awkwardness of it being middle school and I think I if my understanding is correct these are not explicit and that also uh Japanese people are, are hardcore libertarians that they you know as we would see them in the US no that's not true of course that's not true but yeah anyway yeah, it's it's it, it uh, yeah they have a diff- they have different rules around they feel differently apparently about sexualizing minors than we do anyway so he is teaching a classroom of attractive young women and he's magic and every time he sneezes all of their clothes fly off so <laughs> Kyle what I when I was 14 this was the single greatest thing I'd ever read okay um I mean it still sounds great uh it's, it's very funny uh, so I want to recommend one specific clip from the TV show extra <laughs> yeah oh yeah I know exactly the professor X clip yes that's yes. basically but um so that was the original hook is like him and like you know having these weird wacky hijinks but then in like the middle of the third volume, there's a sudden sharp left turn where you find out one of the character girls in his classroom is actually an ancient vampire, and he has to learn. You know, he he has to. He's always known magic, but now he has to learn how to use magic to fight to stop this vampire from preying on the other students. And then shortly after that, they like go on like the the you know the class. There's like an arc where they go on like the classic like school field trip. Only in the middle of the school field trip, they're attacked by like an army of demons, and you know they have to have a big demon fight. And so slowly, what you realize is that Ken Akamatsu, who didn't really want to write just another horny harem manga, he he wrote that, but he also he made all of the characters. What you find out about each of them is like, uh, one of them's a ninja, one of them's a demon slayer, one of them's a vampire, and so all of the <laughs> all of the sexy middle school girls in this class are secretly like various anime trope characters, and so it's this... really like an action fighting like martial art anime where the where like the hapless teen boy is like, well, I didn't expect that I was going to have to learn karate and fight God, but it, that's like that's slowly what and it morphs into this... over time. Each of them has a flashback conversation with a parent or guardian that is like I know you don't understand why I'm sending you to horny school your ninja training doesn't seem like it would lead you down this path but trust me someday <laughs> you, 
you know, you know, I mean, it does have an incredibly complicated lore and backstory, yes, but it's always like that's one of like by the so one of the things when I was reading it, it was the first ever example of I think what would now be called a kitchen sink manga, which is that it doesn't try to be particularly internally consistent to one genre. It's just like, have you ever played a video game? Have you ever read any other manga? We'll assume that anything that is true in any other manga is also true in this universe all at the same time. So we have cyborgs living next to vampires. There's a, you know, there's time travel and there's wizards and there's aliens. And so, like, you know, at the start of this series, it's, like, a bunch of horny, like, teen antics. And at the end of the series, they're on Mars fighting the living incarnation of all evil, which wants to wipe out humanity as punishment for invent, like, for human suffering. And, you know, he, you know, he is turning into a creature of pure lightning and casting, like, you know, magical 10,000 lances. It basically turns into, like, a Final Fantasy game by the end and it's just so I really you know I do like well I'm sure it's the quality of the writing and the sexualized antics are bad I just I really appreciate the balls of like taking it there and taking it like all the way to the end and that's not even my favorite part so the series ended famously the manga ended on a cliffhanger because apparently the publisher finally just got like tired of his fucking antics and were like okay you got to wrap this shit up and he was like, I don't want to. He's like, I haven't figured out how the story ends yet. And they're like, no, you're going to end this thing. So he ended it without you ever fi- – because like with any harem anime, the big question is, well, which one of these women is he actually going to end up with mm-hmm. when he's old enough to end up with any of them? And inst- and he just left it on a cliffhanger and started a new manga, which is – it was called UQ Holder. And UQ Holder was the story of – you know, it was now – because he'd established his credit, it's a much more – traditional um magical martial arts like story about a boy who discovers he's like he has like you know immort he's immortal basically he finds out that he's immortal and that there's a secret society of immortal people who's who have existed for thousands of years and he sort of has to team up with them to have antics and it's going to be a much more traditional anime but psych it turns out he's the grandson of the main character from negima and it's all (laughs) part of the same continuity so so it's a, he, he wrote a secret he snuck in a secret sequel to the other manga and my and my favorite part of all of this is that in that manga you find out he gives you two separate endings to the previous to the previous manga so in UQ holder they come across a magic mirror that's because there's been a lot of it's this is what made me think of this basically because you were talking about chrono trigger and chrono cross so in negima there's like some time travel elements to it and they end up like one of the ways that they save the universe is they use time travel to do it and so what you find out in uq holder is they show a magic mirror that says yes we use time travel to like get a happy ending this is what that looked like. This is how that universe ended, and this is who he married in that universe. But, psych, you're not in that universe. You were in another universe that's the universe where we didn't use the magic time travel to cheat, and so everything's just a little bit darker, and you're going to have to work a little bit harder to get your own happy ending in this universe. So you basically, So he basically showed you how he would have ended the other manga and then he wrote an entirely different manga with like a different main character and a different story that also had a very satisfying like through line and ending 
I like that through horniness, he is introducing his own chaotic intent. Yeah. It, I, I admire this greatly. It's just so, like I said, can't in good conscience recommend it, but it is like the most a- anime thing ever. Like, you know, by the final volume of UQ Holder, like one of the characters is a guy who has all of the powers of a video game character, despite this not canonically being a video game universe. He's immortal just because he has 999 lives, and he doesn't know why. That Every now and then, if he does a bunch of good ge- deeds, he racks up more extra lives so he can't die. And then there's... Yeah? You have, in turn, inspired me to similarly refer to Chrono Cross as anime nonsense that I cannot in good faith recommend because it for instance includes a character who without any sort of explicit reference anywhere in the text is later revealed to be like the avatar of dragons that were secretly manipulating you all along from the supercomputer that itself was the avatar of some other thing like Every sort of like big primal force you're dealing with was, in fact, a cute anime character at some point you had a otherwise pretty, you know, boring interaction with. But they were all your teen friends all along. That kind of stuff, too. Yes. Yeah, so, so, sorry. <laughs> just, no, it's, I get it. So, last thing, and I'll, in this was. <laughs> And one of the final characters you meet in UQ Holder, uh, it turns out that she's a sexy anime girl, but she's also Judas Iscariot, the canonically the disciple of Jesus, who, who betrayed him. And that's... Oh, yeah. It doesn't get much oh. more anime than that. That's the great thing about anime is, like, much like the Uncanny Valley, I feel like there's there's a there's a... There's a degree of loving anime where you're like, I legitimately like this, I legitimately like this, and then there's this cliff where you're like, God, this is embarrassing. This is the most embarrassing thing I've ever loved. And then you get through that cliff, and you go back up, and you're like, but it's radical! It's the greatest thing there is! Ah. <laughs> oh. So anyway, so that is my sort of recommendation. Ken Akimatsu's like epic, like twenty-year saga of anime horniness and action and magical action. Negima slash UQ Holder. Hmm. Dad, that was satisfying. Thank you for for that. I'm. You're right. I'm probably just going to rely on your description and not experience it myself. But that's that's why we do it, baby. I, I am experiencing this sense of satisfaction that I'm feeling right now is what I assume that our listeners are feeling every two weeks, and I am so envious of them. You're welcome, listeners. I'm glad that we do this for you. <laughs> ah, I don't know where to end off there, other than I'm just going to say earnestly thank you, Kyle. You've, you've blessed me this day. It was my pleasure. It was fun to get. I had to get it off my chest one of these days. I feel so free. I didn't know that <laughs> learning about a horny teen anime uh, manga that I'm never going to read could make me so happy. 